0: What is it about millionaires that's so intriguing? We both elevate millionaires and want to be them, and then we demonize millionaires as if they've stolen their money or done something illegal to get it. Well, today I want to unpack some key habits of millionaires based on the largest study of millionaires ever done because these habits are things that you and I can copy right now that can help lead to success. No matter where you are financially, vocationally, relationally, maybe you're in the middle of something really, really challenging, you can't control your circumstances, but you can control your habits. And today I wanna share with you six powerful millionaire habits that you and I can copy. Welcome to episode 70 of The Graham Cochran Show, where I'm here to help you build your online business, work less, and live and give more. I'm your host, Graham Cochran, honored that you would spend some of your day with me today. We're going to unpack, go behind the scenes of millionaires, not based on anecdotes, or guesses based on hard data and look at some behind the scenes stuff of what has led to their financial success because where there's financial success, a lot of times there is in general life success. And so we wanna take a look at some of those habits today. I'm excited to break those down for you. Before we jump in though, I wanna give you something right off the bat. We're talking about growing your wealth today. We're talking about growing uh, your income perhaps. And so I wanna give you a tool that will help you. I'm always talking about online courses, on this channel, on this show, because an online video course is one of the best tools that you can use to grow your wealth. It is a way you can share your knowledge, share your experience, share your passions and skills with people who are like-minded, who want to learn from you. And you can charge a premium for that. And there's little to no overhead because it's digital And you can sell around the clock because it's digital and can be automated, which leads to passive income. So you can not only make a lot of money, but you can make it automatically, which is a crazy cool combination in the story of my life. And so I have learned over the last 11 years of selling digital courses, how to make successful ones. I've made some bad ones too, but how to make successful courses. And I've launched courses that have done over a million dollars in sales and lots of courses that have done multiple six figures. But I want to boil down for you a simple checklist that you can follow to create your first six-figure course, meaning a course that makes over $100,000. That would be amazing. And so I've boiled it all together for you into a simple PDF. It's my six-figure online course checklist that walks you through the four steps that I use to build and sell highly profitable online courses. And I want to give it to you absolutely free. Just go to grahamcochran.com six-figure course. That's the number six, Six six-figure course. Or if you're watching on YouTube, the link is below this video in the description. So click on that. It's absolutely free. It's a PDF. It's going to walk you through the steps. It's going to be a checklist format. It's going to walk you through a lot of mistakes that I've made in building online courses and how to know what to build, how to build it, how to sell it, and how to make it reach the six-figure status. So hopefully that'll help you in your journey. I know a lot of you watching and listening have started to pivot into online courses this year because of the pandemic. Uh, And a lot of you have started in previous years but haven't quite hit that six-figure mark with your courses. Maybe you've made $5,000 or $10,000. How do you sell a course that makes over $100,000, maybe even a million dollars? Well, this is everything I've learned about how to do that package into one little PDF. So it's free. Enjoy it at grahamcochran.com slash six-figure course. Okay, let's jump into the millionaire habits. Um, I love reading about successful people, whether it's biographies or autobiographies, listening to interviews with successful entrepreneurs or leaders, inventors, um, world changers, because to do something great, you have to do something different than what everyone else is doing. It it doesn't mean you have to do something crazy, although there's some people that do crazy, cool things. But by definition, to be extraordinary is to be more than ordinary. Everyone else is ordinary. So if you want an extraordinary life, you have to do things that are a little outside of the norm to get outside of the norm results. So I'm always interested in people's habits. And and that becomes trendy. I mean, a lot of people are talking about habits and— Morning routines, that always blows me away that morning routines are the things that people want to go to. And I think the book Miracle Morning made it, made it really, really popular. And I think there is something to how you start your day, to be sure. But it's hilarious how we've obsessed over what do you do in the, in the first hour of the day? That's the secret. It's not the secret. It is part of the secret, as you'll see in a minute. Uh, but it's not the whole secret. It's really just, that's just one microcosm of looking at successful people and what they do differently than you and me. And we're going to go into these habits in just a second and break them all down, super practical, but just a preface to you, because you might be the kind of person who sees these habits and you're going to be one of two people, maybe three, three people. One person is just going to accept it and be like, this is awesome. And I'm going to do it and be encouraged. And that's my hope for you, honestly, because I want you to do these things. But there's two other camps that you might fall into. One is you could say, that stuff's stupid. That stuff's simple. How's that going to make much of a difference? So you almost discount the habit because it seems overly simple to you. And I would just caution you to sort of check your pride at the door, check your ego. And I don't know, you know, your personal situation. So you're going to have to do business with yourself, but maybe you should be honest with yourself and say, well, am I as successful financially or vocationally as these people are? And if not, then why am I making fun of their habits? You know, it's easy to make fun of someone's habits. It's easy to make fun of what people do or say, that's stupid, that's not going to work. But are they successful? Are they where you want to be? Then maybe there's something to it. And don't confuse simplicity with ineffectiveness, right? Simplicity is the most wonderful thing of all. We don't want complex answers to our problems. Complexity is, is I think, to be avoided at all costs, if possible. Now, by nature of certain things, some things have to be complex, but you should make them only as complex as they absolutely need to be. Simplicity should always be the goal, whether you're designing a product, whether you are writing a song, whether you're creating a financial plan, like simplicity is always better. So don't confuse simplicity with like, it's not gonna work or it's not sophisticated enough. Simplicity is usually a clue to success in my opinion. So you might be one of those people. The other person you might be is someone goes, oh, but I can never do that. Never going to be able to change my habits. So you almost self-loathe. You're you're just hard on yourself. You get deflated. It doesn't encourage you to hear their habits. It almost beats you down because you're like, oh, but I'm not like that. I'm not disciplined in that area. And I would want to encourage you to say, don't take this episode as a look at how great these people are and look at how stupid you are or how you're not doing enough. I tend to fall in that camp a lot of times. I'm really hard on myself. I don't notice it, but it's like an inner critic. It's an inner monologue that says, Graham, you could have done better, or you could do better. And dude, that's a, It's a handicapping uh, mindset to have. And I just know that from experience. So if you're that way, hear me out. You're, you're, you're in good company, for one. But two, this is more of an episode to open your eyes to simple stuff. These are simple things, my friend that these millionaires are doing. Super simple. And I'm gonna walk you through the six ones that I thought were the simplest, most helpful because I've seen them work in my life and most easy to copy. You don't have to do all six. I mean, eventually, that would be awesome. But as you listen to the six, I want you to think about one that you can implement right away. And we'll come back to that at the end of this episode. Okay, don't be overwhelmed, don't be discouraged. See these as lifelines someone's handing you a lifeline, they're handing you a rope, you're out drowning in the sea, you're treading water. Don't be discouraged that you're treading water and they're on the shore and they're living a great life and you're not. You're just looking for help. And I'm giving you six different lifelines that you could grab onto. Just grab onto any one of these as we go through this and it'll pull you to safety, pull you to shore, pull you to success in your life. Not just financially, but in your life, okay? So those are the camps of people. And where is this coming from? Chris Hogan. Right? Don't know if you've read this book, Everyday Millionaires. Chris Hogan's one of Dave Ramsey's uh, personalities as Dave Ramsey has evolved his brand, which is an interesting case study in and of itself from just being uh, just Dave Ramsey as the face of his own company to bringing on multiple different personalities who specialize in different topics. And they have their own shows, and now they're writing their own books. It's it's an interesting succession model because Dave's not going to do it forever. He's been doing it for twenty five plus years. But Chris Hogan kind of specializes on investing, retirement, and what his book is is the summation of the world's largest study of millionaires. And they got a hold of ten thousand millionaires who were willing to answer just a bunch of simple questions just a survey, survey about how much money they made, where they live, how much they spend on certain things, their habits, their background, all kinds of stuff. Just a really thorough survey. And it's kind of like the modern day take on The Millionaire Next Door, which is a really popular book in the 1990s. Uh, This is a, this is like a bigger study. It's it's bigger than that. And so what's interesting is you have a wide gamut of people and they, they, needed people to have a net worth of at least $1 million. So if you're not sure what net worth means, like that means it's not how much money you make every, every year that makes you a millionaire. It's your assets. So do you have a million dollars that you could have if you liquidated it today? So it's your assets, your, what you own minus what you owe. So you might have a $2 million house, but if you owe $2 million on it, that's, you have $0 of wealth in that house, but it's how much you own, your real estate, investments, things like that, minus what you owe. Mortgage debt, student loan debt, credit card debt, et cetera, right? They needed to have a net worth of at least $1 million, uh, and the majority of them were between $1 and $5 million for net worth, okay? Before we jump into the habits, there was just two interesting stats, and th- there's a whole first section of the book that tries to like debunk millionaire myths because, like I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, we've got weird view on on wealthy people uh, in America. And I talked about it last week uh, when we were talking about workaholism and and the status symbol of overwork. And, and I think a lot of wealthy people feel a little bit of guilt um, because our culture demonizes wealthy people. While in the same breath, we all want to be wealthy. It's just so bipolar. But there's some myths that were debunked. And two that I think were the most interesting stats was that 79% of these millionaires, the 10,000 that they studied, 79% received zero inheritance. Four out of five millionaires never got a dime from their family, meaning they are first-generation wealthy. Four out of five. Uh, that's really important for you and I to understand. Most of the millionaires in our country, in America, did not start out with wealth. They received zero inheritance. So they started like you and me. They started like normal people, right? A lot of them started in debt, like below zero. You're lucky in this country to start at zero. But a lot of times, by the time we're 18, we already have student loans and credit card debt, maybe even a car loan. So we're starting in the negative when we should be starting at zero and building up. But these people started at zero or negative. So these are not people that were just millionaire status because it was handed to them. That's usually one of the biggest myths. And then... What's The other big myth is that, well, to be a millionaire, you have to make a lot of money every year. Uh, one-third of millionaires never, never had a six-figure household income in a single working year. So a third of these millionaires never made $100,000 a year, ever, when they were starting out or by the time they hit millionaire status. One-third never made it six figures. Only 31% averaged 100000 a year, so again, only a third made 100000 and only 7% averaged over $200,000 per year. Let that sink in for just a moment. They studied over 10,000 millionaires. These people have a net worth between one and five, if not more, million dollars. And only 7% made over $200,000 a year. Friend, you can make $200,000 a year selling online courses and membership sites very easily. And I'm not trying to like make you feel less than if you haven't reached that goal yet. I'm trying to encourage you. It is not hard to make $200,000 a year selling online courses or memberships. It is not hard to make $100,000 a year selling online courses or memberships. Not hard. Okay. You don't even need a large audience. Okay. So you can make more than 93% of U.S. millionaires because of the type of business you're trying to build. These are people with normal jobs. They don't have the opportunity that you have to make a bigger income, meaning it's going to be even easier for you to become a millionaire than it was for these people if you do what they did. Making a lot of money every, every month and every year is great. And a lot of gurus on Facebook will tell you how much they make every month. How much do they spend every month? on Facebook ads to make that. So they're not really making much money anyway. But even if they were making all the money that they say they're making, how much are they spending on stupid stuff? That'll be gone. So it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just wanted to, those are interesting stats to me. Number one, that four out of five millionaires are first generation wealthy, never received a dime. So they're starting from zero or negative like you and me. And only a third made six figures or more. And only 7% made $200,000 or more. A third of these millionaires never made six figures. Very interesting. All right, enough of that. Let's walk through the six habits. Very simple. They're in different categories. Um, there's there's six habits. Two are financial. Two are personal habits. And then two are, I think, more mindsets and related to work, I think. So we'll talk about those in that order. Uh, and then we'll unpack it all at the end. Habit number one, millionaires save more than 10% of their income, okay? 70% of millionaires save more than 10% of their income through their working years, 70%. And 30% of millionaires saved more than 20% of their income. This is finance 101. If you want wealth, the easiest way to get it is to save Money, very simple. Another way to say it is you have to live on less than you make. Now, we suck at this in America, okay? We <laughs> we spend everything we make. And not only that, we spend more than we make. So we're going in the opposite direction. Millionaires save at least 10% of their income. And when asked what factors contributed to their net worth, 83% of millionaires said saving money. It, it's really boring and simple. It was like, well, we we just always saved money every single month in good years, bad years, good months, bad months. And when you save a percentage of what you make, that amount of money can rise or fall with how much you make. So you're not stuck. You don't have an excuse to say, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm making less or my business is tanking so I, can, I can't save money. Well, maybe you can't save as much as you did when business was great last year, but you can still save 10% or 20% or whatever percentage you pick because it's a sliding scale, it's a percentage. This is a habit. This is not a privilege that only some people can save money. This is a habit that you choose to do. And until you choose to save money every month, good times, bad times, you will never ever get ahead. And you can complain all you want, that you don't have opportunities, that you don't have the same advantages that other people have, they're just excuses. There is no one stopping you from saving money. No one. If 10% is too much, start with 1%. 1% is better than 0%, which is what most Americans are doing. You have literally zero excuse. Start with a percentage, and then once you realize that it doesn't affect your lifestyle at all, and it doesn't hurt, bump it up. Bump it up. Millionaires save at least 10% of their income. 70% of them do their entire working lives. And then 30% of millionaires save 20% or more. It's funny, there's a great book that came out in the 1920s, so 100 years ago by George C. Classen called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's uh, it's a, a combination, it's a, sorry, uh, they took a bunch of his short stories that they put together and published together to one book. It's really The Richest Man in Babylon is one short story and then there's a few other short stories about uh, this wealthy man in Babylon in ancient times named Arkad, who was teaching the men of the city how to become wealthy like him because they all thought that he had inherited wealth and it turns out that he hadn't. He was a commoner and had learned the laws of money. There's a great saying, he's like, if you are not wealthy, it's because either you do not know the laws that govern wealth or you fail to obey them. So it's either you just don't know how money works, which I think is a huge part of the problem in America, or you know how they work, but you just don't follow those rules. It's just simple math. And so I'm giving you some of these rules today. One of them is saving 10% or more of your income. And so there's a great line where Arcad says, it's George Klassen writing through this fictional character of Arcad. He says, "I I discovered the road to wealth when I learned a part of all I earn is mine to keep. A part of all I earn is mine to keep. And we all say, well, all of what I earn is mine to keep. But if you think about it, that's not true. What happens? You earn you earn money, no, no, no. Before you earn money, the government takes part of it before you ever even get to see it. Thank you, IRS. So they take part of your money before you even get it. So they get their hands in there first. And then you gotta pay rent or your mortgage. You gotta pay your insurance premiums and you gotta pay your car payment and your student loan payment. And You gotta pay the grocery store and you gotta pay Netflix. And oh man, all these people have their hands in your pocket. You're not keeping any of that money. You're lucky if there's any money left over. That's why people don't save because they pay everybody with all these bills and then they they open up their bank account or their wallet and they look inside and they're like, well, is there any left over for me? No, there's nothing left over for you. So you're not keeping any of your money if you're a typical American. So The simple phrase is, I discovered the road to wealth when I realized a part of all I earn is mine to keep. And the whole principle is pay yourself first. So the moment you get paid, take a portion of it, set it aside before your bills, and it will force you to spend less on your bills. And that's the whole point. We prioritize what we care about. And if you're not prioritizing saving, you don't care about saving. You don't care about wealth building. You don't care about your future or your children's future or your spouse's future. You're just living in the moment and it's not even that great. You're not even living it up. So when you look at it, basic math, if you wanna be a millionaire, you gotta save money, okay? And ideally, you're investing that money. We're not gonna talk about it today. I did a whole episode on wealth management for business owners, and I got more content I wanna talk about, but you wanna take that savings, and you wanna do a few things with it. You wanna set some aside, so you have cash on hand, three to six months of expenses in case you reach hard times, AKA (coughs) pandemic, And then beyond that, you want to invest your money so that it grows and makes more money for you. Money is a great worker. It can make more money for you. So that's when you're investing in stocks and bonds and real estate, other businesses, things like that. So that's habit number one that you can start today. Just commit to saving a portion of what you earn in a percentage. Okay. So if you're in a business like me, you make different amount of money every single month. It's just, it's up and down, up and down. It just depends on we have a promotion or a launch or just the internet decides to be good or bad to me this month. So I don't make the same amount of money every month, but you either pay yourself a consistent salary, which you need to, and you can save a portion of that, but then you also wanna save a portion of your business's profit. So either way, it's the same, like, what did I make this month as a business in terms of my actual profit? And then what percentage am I gonna set aside? And then do that, commit to that percentage Calculate it every month, set it aside. Habit number two, we gotta move on. Millionaires set long-term goals for their money. 92% of millionaires developed a long-term plan for their money compared to 60% of the general population. Okay. So non-millionaires in America, 60% of them set long-term goals for their money, which is great. But of millionaires, we look at millionaires, 92% of them do. And you see the difference maker, right? They're 50% more likely to have long-term goals for their money. So that begins with committing to saving 10% or more of your income every single month. But what other goals do you have? Do you just think about putting food on the table today and that's it? Or do you think about a year from now where do you want to be financially? Or do you think about 10 years from now where do you want to be financially? or does that just overwhelm you You're like i can't i can't think about 10 years from now you need to if you don't you know what's going to happen life's going to fly by and 10 years from now we're going to be having the same conversation oh crap i'm 10 years older i don't even know what happened in the last decade i'm not a millionaire yet i'm not even moving in the right direction of wealth building and uh flexibility and freedom right it's and it's not just about money that's why i'm all about not just growing your online business, but what's the second part of my tagline for the show? Working less. And then what's the third part? Living and giving more. They all go hand in hand, right? Growing your wealth is one thing, but working less while your wealth grows is even better, and being able to live and give more of yourself, which is the whole point of working less is to be able to live and give more. See how they go together? That's not gonna happen. You're not gonna drift into that. Nobody drifts into becoming a millionaire. Nobody drifts into working only 20 hours a week. Nobody drifts into being able to semi-retire or retire early. Nobody drifts into being able to live the life they want to live, give of themselves and of their resources the way they want to give. You can't just drift. It doesn't just happen. Intentionality. 92% of millionaires have a long-term plan for their money. So I love, you know, I'm not, I don't know where I think about Tony Robbins completely, but there's a lot of things he says that I really love. One of those is people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do in a decade. And he's absolutely right. Like, a decade is a long time. But if you have a big dream and a clear vision and you are willing to chip away at it every month, in 10 years, you can do so much. I mean, I think about my story, I moved down to Florida in 2009 and that was in the middle of the last global recession and my whole world fell apart. I lost two jobs in the same year and I went on food stamps and I'm scrounging around trying to get as much freelance work as I could. And it was in that mess of having my first baby and and taking on my first mortgage and making zero money that I started my first online business, the recording revolution. 2009, like think about 10 years later in 2019, so that was just last year. I went from having like no money, no clue what's going on, to now having two successful businesses, having impacted millions of people all over the world, having automated businesses that pretty much run for me with minimal effort. It's substantially increased my net worth. have been able to give away, I haven't done the math, if I've been able to give away a million dollars yet. I need to do that math. I'll get back, get back to you on that. That's one of my goals is to be able to have given away a million dollars and then move on. Like, so much has happened. So, like, so much that if you told me 10 years ago, like, yeah, all this can happen 10 years, I'd say, that's impossible. That's, it's going to take forever for that to happen. And I was so concerned. i what can I do this year? I'm going to be wealthy this year. But that's the whole thing that Tony Robbins is saying. People overestimate what they can do in a year. This year, I'm going to become a millionaire. Eh, probably not but then they failed to plan for 10 years. Cause like, oh, that's, that's, nothing's gonna happen in 10 years. Well, it's So far in the future, I gotta deal with the pandemic. Well, yeah, you gotta deal with the pandemic. Yeah, you gotta take care of the here and now, but not at the expense of the future. So, what are your long-term goals financially? Where do you wanna be in 10 years financially? Do you wanna own a house? Are you renting and you wanna own your house? Do You wanna own it free and clear? I paid off my house a couple of years ago feels great to not owe anything to anybody. It's like actually my house. Do you wanna pay off your house in 10 years? Do you wanna have a business that's generating $150,000 a year with only five hours a week of work? Very doable. Just keep listening to what I'm talking about. I'm gonna keep helping you on that goal. Is that your your vision? Do you want to have enough saved up and invested in your, your investment accounts plus enough automated revenue coming into your business that you can travel six months out of the year? What do you want to do? Do you want to put your kids to college debt-free? I do. I don't want my kids to borrow any money to go to college. I don't even know if they want to go to college, but I at least want them to have that option without student loans. Do you want to give $500,000 away over the next 10 years? I think that's an awesome goal. What do you want to do financially? Write it down. And then backtrack, what is it gonna take to do that? If it sounds overwhelming, what's the first step to researching how to get there? Just do the first step, and just research the first step. You can't even do the first step, just research the first step. It's the people that look to the future and plan that become successful, it's that simple. Now, the only caveat is, If you are a futurist like me or wanna be one, if you take the strength finders test, I'm a futurist. I rank really high on future thinking, where is this all going? I, I think about momentum for the future, which is a great quality. It's also an awful quality because I can hold my plans too tightly. If 2020 has shown us anything, it is that plans need to be held loosely. There is so much out of our control. I know the mantra in the West and and in modern times is you are the captain of your ship. You are in control of your destiny. And there is part of that that is true. Long-term planners that have a vision, that have a goal, tend to get there more than people who just drift through life. So yes, no one's going to make you do anything. It's up to you to go in the direction you want to go. But there's a part of that mantra that's absolutely bogus, which is you do not have control of your ship, okay? Because you don't have control of the sea, okay? Maybe we can control the ship, where we steer, how hard we row, how well we stock the ship, who we have on our ship with us that can help us. But we have no control over the freaking ocean. Storms are going to come, waves are going to come, The wind's going to die down. That's the life part of it, right? The ocean part. And 2020 has reminded us of that. Every nine to 10 years, we have a recession. And that reminds us that, crap, we're not in control. Every time you lose a job, I'm not in control. Every time you have an illness in your family that threatens the life of a loved one or yourself, I'm not in control. That's life. That's life. We're not in control. So we plan, but we hold those plans loosely, right? In the Bible, God teaches through Solomon in the book of Proverbs that man plans his path, but God determines his steps, right? It's describing this beautiful paradox of, it's okay to plan, it's good to plan, and you should have a vision and a plan, but ultimately God's in control of what happens. Now, that's a whole nother discussion because you may not like what's happening in your life, and so you might be angry at God, but you don't know the whole story. I don't know the whole story. There's things that were really bad in my life that I was very angry at God for, but I couldn't see what it would turn into. Maybe we won't see until the end of the age, but God's doing things, and somehow it connects with our steps. So plan, but hold those plans loosely, okay? Habit number three. So those are money-related habits. You save 10% of your income, millionaires do, and they set long-term goals for their money. 92% of them do, that's insane. Habit number three. Millionaires exercise three times a week. Interesting. I thought this was fascinating. 80% of millionaires exercise three times per week compared to 55% of the general population. And that was fascinating to me because when I think about millionaires, I don't think about their physical habits. I'm just thinking about their financial habits. That was a huge statistic. So 55% of the general population exercise three times a week, so about half, where 80% of millionaires do. What does it tell you? That there's some correlation. I don't think if you go exercise, if you go for like a run three times a week, I don't think you're gonna find a million dollars in your bank account, right? Correlation does not equal causation. But where there's correlation, there's something to pay attention to. That's the whole point of looking at habits of successful people. One habit doesn't cause the result, but there's generally a correlation. So what is the correlation between nice exercise habits, consistent, not just like every once in a while they exercise, but they're consistently three times a week exercising and being millionaires. It's probably a combination of discipline. If you're disciplined enough to exercise three times a week, you're disciplined in other areas. It bleeds into other things. That's why discipline, I think, is the number one quality of an an entrepreneur. Is if you can be disciplined, well, maybe it's the second quality. I'll have to go back and listen to my own episode. But if you can be disciplined in one area, discipline spreads. It's like fire, right? It's so hard to get going, but if you can get a spark of a flame of discipline, you can light that discipline on fire, everything else in your life, and you can become disciplined in other areas. So people who are disciplined with their health tend to be more disciplined in their relationships, in their marriages, their finances, in their business, in their spiritual life, in their morning routines. That's why people are obsessed with morning routines. So what's your exercise habits look like? Do you already exercise three times a week? If so, that's awesome. You probably already feel a lot of the benefits, not just the health benefits, the clarity of mind, the the focus when you get into the office, Self-confidence, this is one of my favorite things about exercise, you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, you, you position yourself as confident. And when you position yourself as confident, people trust you and respect you and like you. Sounds unfair, but it's true. Like what you think about yourself is projected to other people. And so to be, especially if you're creating content online, especially if you have, video content, you have to project that confidence. Not fake confidence, but you want to be genuinely confident about who you are, the message you're sharing, and why it's so important to your audience, and your, your audience can pick up on that. We follow big personalities. We follow confident people, even quiet personalities that are secretly confident, we follow. It's attractive, so exercise can breed confidence. So if that's you, you already know about those benefits. If you don't exercise three times a week, why not? Biggest, biggest reason I think people give for not exercising three times a week is they don't have time. And so they don't exercise at all. So the psychology there is, okay, forget three times a week. What about once a week? I know you want to be a runner and you want to run three times a week. You want to run a 5K every, every time you run, three times a week. But you don't have time, so you don't run at all. That makes that absolutely no sense. If you can't run three times a week, that means you should run whatever you can't run. Don't go from, I wish I could run three times a week to, I'm just not going to run then because I can't run three times a week. It's ridiculous, right? What about one time a week? Can you do that? Can you do that consistently for a few weeks? Start there. Start with push-ups, right? Start with yoga. Start with something. One time a week. Gradually work yourself up to three times a week. That's what 80% of millionaires do. Very interesting. Habit number four. Millionaires wake up early. Oh man, 70% of millionaires consider themselves early risers compared to 44% of the general population. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I hate this one. I hate waking up early in the morning. I'm a night owl. I love evenings. Uh, I love sleeping in. I hate alarm clocks. Uh, Two years ago, though, we moved our kids to a new school and it was further into the city than where we live. Currently, and the school started an hour and a half earlier than the previous school did. So that combination meant we had to get up super early and leave the door super early. So uh, get out the door super early. So when in the past I would be leaving the house at 9.30 to drop my kids off at 9.35 in the neighborhood. Now I gotta be out the door at 6.55. So I can like drive through traffic and drop them off at the school. Now this school is amazing, grateful for this school. It's worth it, otherwise I wouldn't sacrifice like we're doing but man, that was punishing. To be leaving at 6.55, if I want to have time to get dressed, to take care of my kids, make sure they have breakfast, to have time to read my Bible and pray, like any of that stuff, you back up the clock and you're like, I got to get up at 5 a.m. It's it's the worst. But at the same time, it's a habit that you develop and you become used to it. And it's funny when I start waking up at 5 a.m. because in the summers, I just let that go to pot because I'm like, I don't have to drive in there. We'll just wake up whenever and I'm a little more relaxed. But School year, just started back up, back to 5 a.m. Wake up times, it's hard at first, but it forces you to go to bed a little bit earlier, which forces you to become disciplined with your time. But man, it's interesting. Everyone I talk to who's super successful wakes up early. Now, we kind of joked on like Tim Cook of Apple last week about waking up at 3.45 a.m. I mean, some of these people are like overachievers. I'm not really an overachiever, Uh, I just gotta get my kids to school. That's the only reason why I wake up that early. Uh, But you see this habit with every successful person I've ever listened to an interview or read their biography, they wake up early. And I think that's because they are excited about the day. They are excited about what they're gonna do. They are ready to tackle it and they want some space for themselves to have clarity of thought, to have vision because they're thinking ahead, because they're planners, because maybe they need time to exercise and they're busy. You see how these things all work together? Waking up early ties in to all the other habits. And it's interesting to see that 70% of millionaires wake up early. The majority of them wake up early compared to 44%, less than half of normal people wake up early and like it. Right? So. Waking up early is a habit that you can start today. And you don't have to wake up at five. Can you wake up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do? Build that habit. Do that for a couple weeks. Like do that for 10 days. And then after 10 days of waking up 30 minutes earlier, can you wake up another 30 minutes earlier than that for 10 days? Just like baby step your way there. Your body will adjust. And just see how, how you feel. Habit number five, and this is, I was starting to allude to this in the last one. Millionaires do work they enjoy. I like this one. 96% of millionaires enjoyed what they did for a career. 96% enjoyed what they did for a career. And 64% say they, quote, loved their jobs. No, There's a distinction there, which is interesting. Let's start with a distinction. One, not every millionaire absolutely loved their work, but a majority did, 64%. But 96% enjoyed. They enjoyed it. So a lot of these people did work that maybe wasn't like their favorite thing, but they really enjoyed it. It was good work. I mean, that's like the bulk of millionaires. They, They did work, they enjoyed. And the reason why this is so important is because doing work you enjoy Well, there's two reasons why it's important. One, you were designed by God to do a certain type of work. I believe that wholeheartedly, okay? You may not even believe that, but it's true, okay? You were designed by God to do work that you enjoy. You're different than me. You're different than everyone else. You have different interests. You have different skills than I have. You have a different personality than I have. You have a different background than I have that shapes the way you view the world. All of those things position you uniquely to do work that's unique. Now, the Bible teaches, and we'll talk about this maybe in another episode, but the Bible teaches that human beings were designed in the book of Genesis in the beginning to work. A lot of other religions, when they, they talk about the creation story and they talk about work and humans, work is always viewed as a punishment. It's viewed as a burden that, you know, humans need to work in order to appease the gods. Not so in in Christianity and, and and Judaism, right? God designed people to work in paradise, so He made a perfect garden, a perfect world, created human beings, and gave them the task to work and keep the garden. Two different Hebrew words, right? And they mean loosely like the physical working and like maintaining of the. The garden, so it was agriculture work, like actually gardening, and then naming of the animals, and uh, and just sort of keeping things, you know, fresh and beautiful. Like the landscapers around my neighborhood or around this this office building, like they maintain and they they make it keep it beautiful, right? It started beautiful, keep it beautiful. That's that's ongoing work. And then a the keeping word really means guarding or protecting protecting, right? Almost like you would protect your home. You have a security system where you lock the doors, or if you're the leader of your family, if you're a parent, you protect your children, you set your home up so that they feel safe. Uh, If you're a leader in a business, you set your business up so your employees and your team feel safe and protected, right? So working and keeping, working and guarding, that's how we were designed. So you take this combination of all of us are made different and we're designed by God to work, and work was a good thing. Work was introduced in paradise. And you realize there's a problem when you look at the modern day world where people work because they have to, they work because they need to make money. And that's no, no shame on doing a work just because you gotta pay the bills. I mean, I can't tell you how many jobs I've done that I didn't like, but I did it because I had to pay the bills. There's honor in hard work no matter what the work is. And I'm not saying that like, if you're not doing your dream job, then you're missing out. I'm just saying, if you're not doing work you love, Maybe that's why you're listening to the show, watching these videos, is because you want to start your own business or you're growing your online business so you can do work you love. Doing work you love is important. It's important because guess what happens when you do work you love? You work harder. You are more creative. You are more innovative. You serve better. When you do a job you hate, you just do the bare minimum, okay? I worked in, in a corporate America in a tech company as an audio engineer, and I was good at the work, but it was easy and I didn't care for it, so I did the bare minimum. I worked in a bagel store. I did the bare minimum. I worked at a video game retail store. Actually really enjoyed that job actually. I worked hard because <laughs> I liked video games and talking about video games. But you can see the difference, right? In my own business, I don't work a lot of hours. Again, there's a difference. We talked about this last week, but I work hard on the hours I'm working. I really love this stuff. Like what we're talking about right now, I friggin' love. I could do this all day. I love this kind of stuff. I try to innovate and serve you as best as I can. Why? Because I love it. That's why I started this other business. My first business was doing great. Why do we need to start another business? Because I wanted to, because I love it. So there's, you see this beautiful intersection. When you do work you enjoy, you do better work. And why is that good? Because it serves the world better. If we could rearrange and reshuffle people who are doing jobs they hate for doing jobs they really enjoy, and it doesn't necessarily mean some dream job where you're only doing tasks that you like. Like some jobs are just hard, but, Do you like the work environment? Do you like the people you work with? Do you like the hours that you get to work? There's different aspects about work that you can enjoy. And that's why I think when you see 96% of millionaires enjoy what they did for a career versus 64% who loved their work, the difference between between enjoy and love is the difference between, I think, humanity. I think not everyone's going to be doing work they truly, truly love. But positioning yourself to do work that you enjoy versus work that's soul-sucking is very important. You don't need a dream job. You don't need a dream job. But you do need to do work that you can enjoy. That's why a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the dark side of online business. Running an online business is not just all, you know, butterflies and rainbows. It's it's not always easy or always fun. You know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't even talk about in that episode, like when people criticize you online. It's really hard. I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years. It's still hard to hear Really mean things said about you when people don't even know you and you're giving away like amazing stuff for free and they just say awful things about you. Like, that's hard. There's no way that gets easy, right? You just have to ignore it. But online business has hard aspects of it that I don't like. Ask my wife, like, I'll complain about work still. (laughs) You know, there's still stuff for me to complain about. It's not a dream. But you know what? It's work I enjoy. I actually do love the work I get to do, but not all of it is super, super fun. And we need to be honest about that. But you certainly need to position yourself to do work you enjoy, because you will work harder at it. You'll be able to sustain a career longer, which will allow you to create millionaire status, create more wealth that you can enjoy and give away. If you hate your job, you're gonna always be looking for something else and you're gonna be doing the bare minimum and you're gonna be just shuffling through life. I think you were designed by God to be creative, to be hardworking, to feel alive when you're working. And if you don't feel that in the current work you're doing, what can you do today to take a next step to in the next two years max to position yourself into a whole new career? You could do this. Maybe it is starting an online business and that's why you're following. I want you to do that. I want you to do that. I want to help you do that. Okay, so millionaires do work they enjoy. And the sixth and final habit, that I wanted to pull out from this book and the study was that millionaires give money away. It's crazy. 55% of millionaires give to others regularly compared to 28% of the general population. Interesting. So one quarter, so one out of four Americans actually give money regularly, which is sad, which is super sad. I know that it's, it's easy to criticize me when I talk about giving right now in our current economic climate, but I think that's BS. I think it's an excuse. To not give when money's tight is is just a choice. It's a mindset. If you won't give when money's tight, you're not going to give when money's a plenty. You're just not. Everyone thinks when I make more money, when I have more money, when I'm a millionaire, when I'm making six figures, whatever your barometer is, then I'll give money. I would love to be philanthropic. No, you won't. You think you will, but you won't. Why? Because the more you have, the harder it is to give. Way harder. Way harder, trust me. It was way easier for me to give 10%, 15% of my income away when I was making $30,000 a year than it is when I'm making over a million dollars a year. It is way harder because those numbers are really big, and you think, "Oh my gosh, I could, I could buy another rental house cash with that right now." Ooh, do I really want to give it away? I could be more comfortable. I could have even like it's just so much harder. You have to build in the habit when the numbers are small. It's the same as saving money. If you don't save money when money is tight, you're not going to save money when you have more of it. You're just not. It is a habit. Okay, so. Give money away now. Again, pick a percentage. Pick a percentage. The way Shay and I do it is, because it's, you know, we don't have a a set salary necessarily. I mean, we take a set salary from the business to pay our bills, it's the same, but we have profit that goes up and down in the businesses and that's still ours to do with as we like. Um, But we've committed uh, in the last, you know, in the last few years, we shifted to a percentage model as the numbers got really big and they were changing and it was hard to really predict where we were going to be. We committed to a percentage of our business's profit. And so over the years, we tried to increase that percentage so that it feels sacrificial to us. Because the more you make, you know, if if you are religious at all, if you come from a Judeo-Christian background, then you've heard of a tithe or giving 10%. And I think that's a great place to start. I think everybody should give 10%. There's plenty of non-religious people you know, who would label themselves as atheists or agnostics who give 10% of their money away when Christians historically give maybe two to 2.3% of their money away, which is super sad. People who don't believe in God will give more money than Christians with, with, with something broken there. That's another story for another day. But you know, we've started with 10% because we see that in the Bible, it's pretty clear as a pattern to at least be a starting point. It's not like a checkbox of great, I gave 10%, that's it but we feel like, man, God has entrusted us with more wealth. 10% of $30,000 is a sacrifice. 10% of $100,000 is a little bit less of a sacrifice. 10% of $500,000 is not really a sacrifice at all. And as the numbers go up, it's just, you don't even feel, it doesn't affect us. And we have committed to giving sacrificially. We see that as a pattern in the Bible that you should give in a way that it actually cost you something. Um, in a way, so that we interpret that to mean that like, it affects our lifestyle somewhat. Money we could have done this with, even though I feel like we live a great lifestyle, we still could have done this or saved this. So I, I always want to feel it. So we've increased our percentage greatly over the years. And so what we do as business owners is every month we look at the profit that our business brought in in the previous month, and we have committed to our percentage. So if it's a huge month, we get to write bigger checks. If it's a smaller month, it's smaller checks. We've predetermined the percentage. You can do that too. And according to the study, the general population, only 28% give regularly. One out of every four gives anything at all regularly. But 55%, half of millionaires, give regularly. And 70% of those who do give that are millionaires set some of their income aside every month. So it's systematic. It's not just how a lot of millionaires give, which is in big chunks as a donation to that organization or at the end of the year before the tax bills is due. A lot of wealthy people give in big chunks sporadically. I'm not not judging them on it, but millionaires, it seems like in this this study, 70% of those who do give, not just give in big chunks every once in a while, but they give systematically every month. And I would recommend you do that, whether you give to your church or your synagogue, or you give to a nonprofit that you really care about. Like my wife and I are really big supporters of Compassion International that help alleviate children all over the world out of poverty through a sponsorship model, through a local organizational model. It's not Americans or Europeans or Australians coming into third world countries and, and solving their problems. It's we are supporting their local community and their pastors and their local uh, or leaders to like pull these children out of poverty uh, through a really proven model. And they are very frugal and they're spending. So 83% or more of all donations goes directly to the field. And so they keep the overhead low. We love Compassion International. You can go to Compassion or Compassion.org to check them out. But we give directly to them. Um, But whoever you give to, if you commit to giving a percentage every month, you're really going to help that organization out because then they can have a dependable income stream as opposed to the one-off donation. So I would highly encourage you to think about picking a percentage and committing to who you're going to give it to and give regularly. You will be a huge blessing to that organization. So this is one of those intriguing Habits, giving money away that people don't think about with millionaires. But I've studied a lot of millionaires, Uh, Sir John Templeton, who recently passed away in the last few years, billionaire investor, um, right? He helped fund Franklin Templeton Investments. Christian, amazing story. But he was tithing, giving a ten percent of everything he made when he was making like hundred dollars a week. Like he he committed to giving when he was broke. And so as he became a billionaire, he just became super philanthropic, not because he had money, but because he was already a philanthropist. You could be a philanthropist today. You should be a philanthropist today. There is something innately human and psychologically empowering when you give money away. When you give money away, even if it's $100, it triggers something in your brain psychologically that says you must be wealthy because you're giving money away. You feel rich. You feel like a millionaire. So you can feel rich right now. Just start giving your money away. It sounds counterintuitive, but it is, it is an abundance mentality of saying, okay, I'm gonna open up my hands freely to give freely, right? And the cliche is if you have open hands, giving freely, you can receive. If your hands are closed, holding on tightly to what you have, you can't receive anything because you can't hold it. Your hands are closed. Your fist is closed. Be a person who opens his or her hands and gives freely. And watch what happens, right? The Apostle Paul writes in the book of 2 Corinthians in the Bible that if you sow sparingly, if you plant hardly anything, you'll reap sparingly. You're not going to have a whole lot of crops. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to have a lot more crops. Very easy to understand farming metaphor. It's true with money. It's true with money. People who are givers, people who are generous, are more successful in life. I don't know how else to put it. I I wish I could say that weren't true because it makes people feel uncomfortable, but it's just true, and I want that for you. So that's a huge, huge millionaire habit. So in review, six millionaire habits you and I can copy. Millionaires save more than 10% of their income. They set long-term goals for their money. They exercise three times a week. They wake up early. They do work they enjoy, and they give money away. These are not one-time things. These are ongoing habits. So my question for you is, which one of these six spoke to you the most right now? Which one of these six grabbed you and said, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this? Hopefully all six. But is there one in particular that just resonated with you, that convicted you, that got you in the heart and said, I can do this. I can do this. If so, and you're watching on YouTube, comment below and let me know which one that is. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review and let me know in the review that you listened to this episode and which one of those habits resonated with you the most. And before we go, I want to remind you, I want to give you a little tool to take you one step closer to millionaire status, and that's my six-figure online course checklist. As a business owner, the way you're going to become a millionaire is to sell a lot of product. And the way you're going to sell a lot of product is to make products people really want to buy. How do you do that? I break it all down to you, my four-step process for building and selling highly profitable online courses in the six-figure online course checklist. It's absolutely free. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash six-figure course with the number six, six six-figure course. Or uh, click on the link below if you're watching on YouTube. And just read it and implement it. I want you to really grow your online business this year so you'll be one step closer to hitting millionaire status. And hey, just another plug. Go check out Chris Hogan's book, Everyday Millionaires. It's a a fun read, really practical. And again, it's it's based off the largest study of millionaires ever conducted. It's a survey of over 10,000 millionaires. It's just raw data. And then just sort of what are those findings? Really, really interesting stuff. I think you'll really enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening and hanging out with me today. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay motivated, and I'll see you in another episode real soon.